Man, that was just another day um, in the office, which is awesome. It's so cool being here um, during second service because normally I'm in the high school room with the high school students, and so I feel like you know I only get to see half the church family or at least worship with them. But we're worshiping over there on on uh, on Sundays during second service. Excited the high schoolers are here in the front row, and uh, I'm so excited just to be with you this morning. Um, like Dale said, my name is Joe. Um, I've been here for three years, and I've had the awesome opportunity to be on staff. Um, with some great co-workers, and I love this church family. I absolutely love um, worshiping with you each and every week. And, and uh, one of the joys of being a youth pastor, um, besides going to a surf or skate shop to, to buy my work clothes, um, anybody jealous of that? You can wear, I can wear shorts and sandals 365 days of, of, the, of the year. Maybe 364. Today I can't. Um, but one of the joys of being a high school pastor is watching uh, students come to faith in Jesus Christ for the first time, but also growing in that faith in Jesus Christ. And um, I get to um, share with my students, and I tell them, I can't wait, can't wait until you guys, to see you guys in the next 5 and 10 and 15 and 20 years to see who you will become. Um, I get the awesome opportunity um, with some of the amazing high school leaders um, to, to watch our students, not only to um, love them and care for them for who they are right now, but to see who they will become as young men and women. And, and now we all have um, stories of how God is growing our faith and shaping our character and love for him. And we all have experienced to some degree or another probably a lot of tests or trials um, in our faith, our faith that is rooted in God's character and his promises. But today we're going to continue in our series in Vintage Faith out of Hebrews 11, and we'll pick up the story, God's story, in the life of Abraham. And Dale did a great week, job last week talking about um, Abraham and Sarah, who were models of pioneer faith. And today we get to discuss an event that took place with Abraham and his son Isaac, an event that points to a greater um, event that happens in human history. God the Father offering his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice to pay for our sins and to give us new life. So if you have a Bible, um, open up your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19. Or as Matt Carlson would like to say, turn on your Bible um, as we study um, this text together. Hebrews chapter 11, 17 through 19. Verse 17, it says this, By faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son, it was he to whom it was, called, it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is even able to raise people from the dead, from which he also received him, that is Isaac, back as a type. Will you pray with me as, as we get started this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, just for this morning that we can gather again today. The reason why we gather every single week, Lord, is just to remember your son, what he's done for us. Lord, that we may not be forgetful people, but we can recognize the truth of the gospel and preach that to ourselves daily. And now we get to gather with, uh, um, with everybody who believes, Lord, in you and, or is just on their journey of faith of finding out more about you. And Lord, I pray that this father-son story with Abraham and Isaac will show us the greater father-son story throughout all of Scripture. God, you and your son and what he's done for us. 
So we pray that you will teach us and that you will guide us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if I took one sentence and, and broke this sermon down, it would say that Hebrews 11:17 through 19 shows us that God's testing is his way of growing our faith and obedience in his character and his promises. Let me repeat that. God's testing is his way of growing our faith and obedience in his character and promises. So let's talk a little bit about faith, and then we're going to talk a little bit about tests, and then we're going to kind of dive into the text. Ryan began a few weeks ago talking, and he did a great job um, describing biblical faith, and reads in Hebrews 11.1, where it says, Now faith is the assurance of things, or the confidence of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And he reminded us that faith affects how we live and interact every day. And we read this biblical story in Hebrews to remind us of God's promise, promises that are rooted in his character. And in the regular rhythms of our lives, we might wonder, even though we have good reason to believe that God's promises are true, we still might wonder this. Can we trust God even though we cannot track him? Can we trust God even though we cannot track him? When tests and trials come, will God provide? I've asked that in my own heart and life so many times. Will God provide through this trial? Will God provide through this test? Even when things completely contradict what God is all about and we don't really understand what is going on, is God still true? Is God still going to work that through? Can we trust him even though we can't always track him? So now that we talked about faith a little bit, now let's, let's talk about tests. For most of us, the word Tests, um, tests bring up a lot of stressful um, times in our lives. Maybe the stress of school, staying up late, frantically memorizing facts. I remember one time I was taking a final, and I literally threw up before the final because I was so nervous about it. Maybe I'm the only one. But we have as a society this understand, understanding that tests are not a good thing. But we must, be remember, we must remember that we are not talking about tests of school, but rather we're talking about tests throughout the course of our lives. We must not view God's testing as him being cruel, but rather of him, our loving God, and his care and love for his children. And so do we really, as God's people, deeply understand that God is at work in our struggles, at work in our sufferings, at work in our difficulties and pain? And do we remember that God sees it all? He's all-knowing, and he sees it, and he's with us in that. You see, God does not waste our pain. God does not waste our suffering. He uses it these circumstances and these rough times for his good purposes. So God tests us by growing our faith and obedience in him. But notice how I said tests and I didn't say tempts. God tests, but he does not tempts. One author writes this, there's a vast difference between God's purposes in testing a person and the enemy's purposes in testing a person. God tests to confirm and to strengthen the enemy tests, to corrupt and to weaken. God tests to confirm and to strengthen, but the enemy tests to corrupt and to weaken. And so as we talk about tests of faith, we must know that it is for our good and for God's good purposes. God wants us to grow in our faith and our maturity in him. Why? Because he loves us. And he will not stand by and let us love other things besides him. So the first big point that we're going to be talking about is God will test our faith. Do you believe that? God will test our faith. And we see this throughout scripture. We see this in maybe in the book of Jonah or in the book of Job, how God tests his people individually and also corporately. We see it more specifically in the life of Abraham as we study his vintage faith. So let's take a quick moment to go back to some of Abraham's faith, just a couple of them, to see that God tests Abraham's faith. 
So let's start with him first. Let's take a look at a few. First, there's a test of leaving his homeland, <clears throat> which he passed. Then there was a the test of leaving his father, which he also finally passed, but only after a 15-year detour in Haran. Then there was a the test of trusting in God's protection, which he finally passed, but um, um, which he actually um, failed because he lied to Pharaoh about Sarah being his sister. And then he had to retake the test later on, and also with um, him lying that Sarah was his sister, and he didn't pass that either. And there was a lot of tests with his, with his nephew Lot, which he passed, and there was a test of dealing with a skeptical and doubting wife, which he also passed. And so we see some practical examples with Abraham's life and past testing of his faith. We can all kind of relate to this in one sense or another. God um, tests us maybe in leaving our home and leaving our family, wondering, will God provide? I mean, we live in Encinitas. If you're younger and you don't have your career yet, it's like, how can we live here? It's so expensive. Will God provide? Will God protect? The testing of maybe family relationships. Maybe you have... Um, family that is just really got, you've been tested in those areas or maybe even um, that of a spouse. There are practical examples that we see in the life of Abraham that God tests us in those areas. And so if I could hang out with Abraham and we could go down to Better Buzz Coffee or that new taco shop off the 101, which is really awesome. I had a cactus taco the other week. Um, <coughs> I didn't eat it. Thanks, Jordan, for showing me that place. <laughs> Whoever thought you could have a cactus taco? But if I could hang out with Abraham over, over a taco, over a burrito, and say, hey, Abraham, does God test his people? I, I'm sure that Abraham would say, yes, of course he does. God tests his people. Or another way of saying it, instead of saying God tests the faith of his people, you could always say, true faith is always tested. True faith is always tested. So since God tests the faith of his people and true faith is always tested, therefore we should expect tests and we should expect trials in our lives. And I'm convinced that the closer and closer you get to God, the more trials and the more tests that you will experience. The closer and closer you get in your relationship with God, as you grow in your faith, the more trials and tests you will experience. And so I, I, I just want to plead with everybody, and even for in my own life, let's be faithful with the small tests. So when those big tests come, we can stand strong. We can be obedient to God's call. But God just doesn't test biblical characters. God tests us. He tests seacoasters, Encinitans. He tests us because he loves us too much not to. God tests his children. And left on our own, we will always choose something besides him. Reminds me of the junior high students in, their, in the junior high room. If you've ever been there, it's just pretty much a, 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 um, a room that's not filled with a lot of furniture. All the couches are broken. And uh, there's just not a lot of things in there. So if you were to leave junior hires in there and there was no one watching over them and no one telling them what to do, they will completely have chaos in that room. And Jordan knows it. The floors are disgusting in there. Every time I go in there, I'm like, what smells? <laughs> if I were to buy a bouncy ball and I were to buy a Bible and I were to leave both of them in the junior high room, I guarantee they're going to play with the bouncy ball the whole entire time. They might even use the Bible as a bat. Left on our own, we will choose something besides God. That is true of all of us, not just junior hires. So no matter what age we are, we need guidance from our Heavenly Father. We need testing. We need God to break us sometimes so that we can fall more in love with Him and come back to our Father. And so um, we recognize that we need God's intervention. Just as a loving Father teaches, corrects, encourages, um, forgives, and tests, and loves His children, so does God our Father. So God tests Abraham. We checked that one off the box. Okay, B, God tests my faith, and he tests your faith. God tests my faith. And I just wanted to share 
um, with you a little bit about my story and one of the greatest tests that I have yet to experience. It's a pretty gnarly one. Um, so I grew up in Orange County as a pastor's kid. And growing up in Orange County is terrible. Anybody from Orange County? Oh, yeah, right? North County is so much better. I'm, I'm biased. But um, I also grew up as a pastor's kid. Any pastor's kids? Anybody? One, two, three. God bless you. God bless you. Um, <laughs> and I'm the youngest of four. Who's the youngest? Youngest. There we go. Awesome. Anybody a pastor's kid and the youngest? You are? Yeah. Do we need to talk after this? We can. Seacoast will pay for our counseling together. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, clap for that. Um, <laughs> so I grew up as a pastor's kid, but at the time high school, uh, in junior high, all I wanted to be was a youth pastor. I thought, man, I, I get to have pizza parties and I get to play the guitar, like pizza, guitar, like youth pastor is my gig. Let's do this. But then high school hit and the, the last thing I wanted to do was be a pastor. I mean, I was barely hanging on. I went to church because I'm a pastor's kid and it's like kind of disrespectful if you don't. But there was no real relationship with God. And so one Sunday, it was a regular Sunday like this, I was sitting in the front row and um, somehow I got a Bible because usually the Bible's in the seat back in front of you, but I was sitting in the front row. I think God just handed me a Bible. Somehow I had a Bible and I opened it for the first time. I was here on Sunday mornings like so many times. I never opened God's word, barely paid attention. I opened God's word. It was that moment that I started to follow along with my dad's sermon. It was a cool thing. My mom noticed a change in my life that morning. I didn't fall in love with the pages of God's word. I fell in love with God himself. It was like a light bulb went off. And that morning, God got a hold of my heart. So I graduated from high school, moved on to community college, started volunteering in junior high ministry and high school ministry. just loved doing that. And in 2009, I decided to go to Bible college. I went to Bible University, and I studied the Bible there. And I was dedicated. All I wanted to know was, all I wanted to do was to know God and to make him known. So I went to Biola and I was dedicated to my academics and I commuted to school to save money. I had all my classes lined up back to back so I could still work during that time. And, and I told myself one thing before I started Biola. I am here to study the Bible and I'm not here to date anybody. But little did I know in my, my theology was God first, a girl second. Um, little did I know that the girls outnumbered the guys four to one. So literally, I'm a sitting duck. I mean, back then I had my hair, which was awesome. Dale and I, you know, like we, we grieve every Monday. We have a little counseling session where it's like, Lord, bring it back. And it's falling down to my face, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> during that time, I was able to lift weights a little bit more too. So like I had hair and I was lifting weights. And I'm like, this is awesome. So sure enough, there I was. I started dating this girl. And um, I thought, okay, God, I'm still going to study the Bible, and um, I'm going to graduate with my Bible degree, and, and uh, I'm really interested in this girl. And we ended up getting engaged. We were engaged for seven months. It's a long time. Usually people get married a little bit earlier than seven months. But we waited, and we were engaged for seven months. I thought, everything's great. I'm going to graduate from Bible college. I'm going to get married. I'm going to become a youth pastor. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to bring my boxer puppy that I had. And, I mean, everything is awesome. And fast forward, it's New Year's Eve, and I wake up early in the morning, and God spoke to me. And this has only happened this vividly and clearly twice in my life. But God spoke to me early in the morning, and I'm waking up, I'm still pulling the sleep out of my eyes, I'm super tired, and I hear this, she's leaving you. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? She's leaving you. And I was very confused, and I was like, what are you talking about, God? Why would you do that? I felt as if 
um, with the girl that I was engaged to at the time for seven months, I felt as if God was pulling the biggest soccer move on me ever. Soccer mom move. Have you ever like seen soccer moms when they drive the big Suburbans and like maybe they're catching Pokemon or something and there's a car in front of them, they slam on the brakes, but at the same time, they don't want their kid to fall forward and so they do the soccer mom move and they, they brace them for impact. That's what God was doing to me. He was taking his large hand. God doesn't have hands, by the way. <laughs> but he was taking his hand and he was... <laughs> And he put his hand on my heart and he was just bracing me for impact. He said, Joe, you're about to smash into a brick wall. Get ready, buddy. So he said, she's leaving you. I was getting out of bed. I was confused and I brushed it off. And I said, God, I do not know what you're talking about. There's no way she's leaving. I have my plans. These are my plans. Again, it's New Year's Eve and we're supposed to hang out with my family. And, and I can't get a hold of, um, let's just, by, for the sake of the story, let's just call, my wife is Amanda. Let's just call this girl not Amanda. I can't get a hold of... I can't get a hold of not Amanda the whole entire day. I'm calling and I'm calling and I'm texting and I'm texting not Amanda and she's, she's not picking up. This is not normal. And so about 5, 5.30, I get a call from not Amanda and I say, I say, hello, where are you? We're supposed to be hanging out with my family. She says, I'm on a plane. And I go, why are you on a plane? She's like, I can't explain it, I'm leaving. I just remember crying out. I said, get off the plane. Get off the plane. Get off the plane. And then click. Phone hangs up. So I rush to Costa Mesa. I'm trying to, trying to find her. She's not there. I try to talk to her family. They don't know where she's at. She hopped on a plane and she left. And I'm freaked out. God, you gave me this girl. We're supposed to be married. We've been engaged for seven months. What's going on? And if you've ever seen a six foot two, 250 pound man curled up on the floor crying out to God, it's not a pretty picture. I was broken. The girl too I was engaged with, the girl I was engaged to at the time, not Amanda, she, she was gone. And I counted the days afterwards, which was really weird. She was gone for 40 days and 40 nights. Exactly. And then she came back to California. She called and said, let's meet up. And I said, yeah, we should. <laughs> that would be good. I need some, <laughs> we need to talk. So we talked for a few hours. I've never seen her since. God broke me during that time. I had to recognize, is God going to provide? One phone call changed everything. God gave me all these things, a great education, a great resume for a future job, a fiancé. Now it seems that God has taken everything I wanted away. And for me, in those times, and this was a test, I felt like I had two options. The first option was to blame God and distance myself away from him, to be angry with God and stop going to church. I'm a pastor's kid. Everybody knows me at my church. Everybody knows my story. They know exactly what service I go to, what service I don't go to. I am known at that, my past church. And so I can distance myself and blame God and be angry with him and stop going to church. Or I can trust God and seek him and say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but you're going to provide. To seek the local church and work through my pain. That's what's a beautiful thing about the local church is when, when you hit that brick wall and you are broken, you have brothers and sisters that you have relationships with that, you can, that can come to your rescue and and also good friends. I had my buddy Johnny and my buddy Bobby. For six months straight, every Sunday, they drove probably over an hour. They didn't even go to my local church. Drove over an hour, and they sat to my left, and they sat to my right for six months straight. And they said, Joe, you are not leaving your faith. You're not leaving this church. And I, I just, I moved towards the church, and I moved towards that pain. I'm so thankful for such good friends and a church family. Was I going to trust God even though I couldn't track him, even though I didn't know what was going on? Fast forward a few months later, I'm interning at my past church for free because I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I'll work for free. <laughs> and uh, I, I meet my, my now wife, Amanda. 
I'm so excited. I mean, I'm, I'm stoked. And I thought to myself, I'd be single for a long time. I wasn't looking for a relationship. And, and by the way, going to church and meeting your spouse is the way to do it. Um, so I encourage you, if you're single, find your husband or wife at church. Um, man, his dad got hired at my past church, and he started working. So our dads worked together, which is kind of a cool story. And so I was interning at the church, and she came over to my office, and she brought me coffee, and we started talking. And this was the second time that God vividly, clearly spoke to me. She sat down with her red Converse on my couch, and she put her feet on the couch, which was disgusting. And I was like, I don't know about this girl, but God spoke to me. He said, this is your wife. I remember just saying, thank you, Lord. The Lord has blessed me with such a great wife that is just perfect for me. But during that time, I couldn't, I couldn't trace or see what God was doing, but I trusted that he would provide. And through everything, my faith grew. Maybe not in my timing, maybe not in my, my way of, of thought, but my faith grew. And my dad used to always tell me, he said, you want to make God laugh? Just tell him your plans. That's true, right? Like, Lord, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. He's sitting up there like, really? That's what you, that, those are your plans. What about my plans, Joe? <laughs> and he knew that I needed a wife that would support me in ministry. He knew that I, I needed a wife that wouldn't pull me away from the local church and the passion that I have to serve high school and college students. So God tests us in the way of growing our faith and obedience in his character and promises. And God tests our faith so that we don't focus on ourselves and our loves. We don't settle for second best. God tests us so we can glorify him, and then we can take ourselves out of the equation and focus on Jesus. Are we being faithful to our test? So God tests Abraham's faith, God tests my faith, and God tests your faith. Let's see. Where is God testing your faith? And we're going to be talking about the application at the end of the sermon. There's so many stories of here of trials and and um, testings that you've experienced, and I wish we had time to talk about all of them, but, but really really seek um, your heart and, and ask yourself the question, where is God testing my faith? Is he testing my faith? Do I believe that he tests me? So God tests the faith of his people. The second point is God gives Abraham the ultimate test of faith, and we're going to take a look at this passage that Hebrews 11 talks about in Genesis 22. God tests Abraham by telling him to sacrifice his only son who he loves. So we turn with me to Genesis chapter 22 as we take a look at this story that Hebrews 11 talks about. Genesis chapter 22. We get a front row seat to a test unlike anything Abraham has yet to face. And Genesis 22 is a powerful scene. In, in the previous chapter in, verse 20, in chapter 21, we see that um, Abraham gets the gift of Isaac, his son. This promised baby boy that he's been waiting 25 years for, and he finally gets to hold his son. Amanda, Amanda and I have been blessed with the gift of a child, and Amanda's uh, in December. We get to finally, hopefully, hold our baby boy. We're just we're praying for that. Um, not baby boy. We don't know. I think it's a go- boy. She thinks it's a girl, but that's because I'm a guy and she's a girl. So I think it's a boy, but I don't know. Um, we get to hold our child. And I remember talking to her as I've been working through Genesis 22, and she said, Joe, if God asked you to sacrifice our child, what would you do? And I told her, I said, you want me to give you the PG version? And she says, yeah. And I said, God, go sit on a log. Like, that was the PG version. Like, I don't know, like, if God asked me to do that, like, wow, that is, that's, that's extreme faith. I don't, I don't know if, how faithful I'd be in that. that that's, that's just a crazy story. And so God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. He finally gets to hold his boy. In verse 22, he gets the gift of Isaac. And then we hit chapter 22. And it looks like this gift is about to be taken away. Follow with me in Genesis 22. 
Verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. So we know that God is all-knowing and he knows that he's testing Abraham. The writer, Moses, knows that Abraham is being tested. We, the readers, know that he's being tested. But Abraham doesn't know he's being tested. This is all new to Abraham. So God is going to test Abraham. And this is an example of what God will do for each of us. God tests his people. Now it came about after these things, verse 1, that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains from which I tell you. He said, take your son. He doesn't even start with Isaac. He says, take your son, your only son that you've been waiting 25 years for, who you love. Abraham is a proud parent. Take Isaac. In Hebrews 11, it says, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. Take your baby boy and go sacrifice him on this mountain. And during this time, I would have called out a big timeout. But Abraham doesn't know he's being tested. And during this time, we need to understand that your firstborn son is of utmost importance. Tim Keller writes this, In an individualistic culture like ours, an adult's identity and sense of worth is often bound up in abilities and achievements. But in ancient times, all the hopes and dreams of a man and his family rested in the firstborn son. The call to give up the firstborn son would be similar to a surgeon giving up the use of his hands or of a visual artist losing the use of her eyes. You see, the firstborn son was the family in this time. And so for Abraham, this was not just a baby boy. It could have easily been his everything. So God tests Abraham in the area of what he loves the most. God tests Abraham in the area of what he loves the most, and he does the same for us today. Here in Encinitas in 2016, God tests us to see what we love the most. God cares about us so much that he doesn't want any person, he doesn't want any place, he doesn't want anything to become an idol in our lives. And so God tests us to make sure that we love him more than anything. I remember I had a friend who told me, he told me this, he said, Joe, put God first and everything will fall into place. You don't put God first and nothing will fall into place. And I remember asking him, like, well, what does that mean? He said, put God first and everything will fall into place, meaning not meaning that you will, everything will be perfect or everything's going to be sweet, but rather you will understand your purpose if you put God first in your life. He said, if you don't put God first in your life, nothing's going to fall into place. You're going to be striving for things that are empty. I remember that. Man, just, I'm going to put God first in my life because I want to understand my purpose. I want to understand God's promise and I want to understand God's character in my life. So you see, we put God first in our lives and center of our lives Left to our own, we will always choose something other than him. So God, the caring father that he is, tests us. Follow with me in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. So the four men travel days to get to this mountain and notice (coughs) Abraham's faith. In verse five, we will worship and return to you. 
Abraham recognizes that worship is everything and everything is worship. Even in the biggest trial and test of Abraham's life, he is still worshiping the Lord. Man, that's good to know. It's good to be reminded of. And he's already saying that we will worship and return to you. He's already saying God will provide. He might not know exactly how, but he recognizes that God will provide. Even to the extent in Hebrews 11 of saying, if God were to um, sacrifice Isaac, he would be also able to raise him from the dead. I mean, that's extreme faith. God will provide his perfect way and in his perfect timing. But I'm sure Isaac, this teenager, had some questions. I remember when I used to go on family trips with my, with my family, and my dad was always driving, I always used to ask him, Dad, how much longer until we're there? And every single time, no matter what, he would say 20 minutes. And it irritated me. It still irritates me to this day. Dad, how long until we get there? 20 minutes. Even if it's a 20-hour trip, how long until we get there? 20 minutes. I'm going to start using that for our kid. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, I'm sure that Abraham and Isaac, on their way um, to this mountain, they had some conversations. The text doesn't necessarily let us into those conversations, but I recognize that they had some conversations. Where are we going? Why are we doing this? Perhaps. Abraham took the wood in verse 6 of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Let's put on our Jesus glasses right here. If we don't see Jesus in that, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. God the Father took the cross and laid it on his son, Jesus. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Verse 7, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? It's a good question. Where is... Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. Let's remember that. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. So Abraham, so God tests Abraham by telling him to sacrifice his only son who he loves. And now God provides for Abraham by sacrificing a ram in place of Isaac. Follow with me in verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. It's extreme faith. Verse 11, I'm so glad it's here. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. I'm sure Abraham's response was super fast. Here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his, by, um, his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide and it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. What an amazing story. I love how Hebrews 11 points back to Genesis 22, and we get to unpack this story, this great father-son story of Abraham and Isaac that points us to the greatest father-son story the world has ever seen. God the Father sending his only son, who he loves, 
to the world to die on the cross in our place as the ultimate and final sacrifice. You see, the Old Testament points to Jesus. The New Testament, it points to Jesus. The whole book of the Bible is all about Jesus. And the story in Genesis 22 gives us a beautiful picture of what Jesus will do for each of us. Jesus passes the ultimate test and lives a life without sin. He loved the Father perfectly. And so when John the Baptist, 2,000 years ago when John the Baptist came on the scene and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember back in Genesis where he said, God said, I will provide the Lamb. He provided the Lamb in Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm sure everybody there that saw Jesus, that light bulb went off and they recognized, oh, Genesis, Genesis 22. God has provided everything we need in Jesus. Do we believe that? When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the greatest gift we get is Jesus himself. Do we believe that? And he gives us the Holy Spirit who lives with us, guides us, directs us, comforts us, helps us. Do we believe that? God has provided everything for us. So by application, I don't know where you are being tested right now. I don't know the trials that you've had. I don't know the things in your life that compete for your love for Jesus. <clears throat> but in view of what we learned in the story of Abraham in Hebrews 11, 7, 20, 17 through 19, which shows us that God's testing is his way of growing our faith and obedience in his character and promises. In light of that, I have three questions for us. For all of us, how is your faith being tested? The first one. And how does this passage help shape your response to that testing? How is your faith being tested? And how does this passage shape your response? Maybe you've had the loss of a job, of, of a loved one, decline of your own physical health. Maybe you're so consumed with the pleasures of this world. Maybe you're so focused on your career, on your family, on your school and education, on your sport that you play, on your talents. How is your faith being tested? I was working through this passage with Matt Carlson uh, last week, and he told me something really cool that stuck with me. He said, this life is your only chance as a follower of Jesus to experience testing and to suffer. This life is your only chance to experience suffering and to experience testing. I thought that was so cool. And so Matt said, you know, hashtag suffer well. And I was like, man, that's, that's awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw that in the sermon. We get to be tested by God. And he does so because he's a loving father that cares for us and wants our faith to grow. Number two, how is God testing you to see if you've made Jesus, his only son whom he loves, similar language, the first in your life, and at the center of your life? How is God testing you to see if you've made Jesus, his only son who he loves, first in your life and at the center of your life? If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, will not sit back and let you love any person, place, or thing over him. We serve a jealous God. We serve a loving God. We serve a gracious God. He will not sit back and let you worship something else. He demands obedience and he demands our love and respect. So is Jesus your everything? How are you being tested to see if Jesus is first and at the center of your life? And then third, have you received Jesus Christ, God's only provision for our sins? Have you received him? If you have Jesus, you have life. If you do not have Jesus, you do not have life. So if you don't have Jesus, you need to get him. He's the best thing ever. There's no greater man that's ever lived 
in Jesus Christ. So we have a church family here. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we'd love to talk to you. Love to walk you through what that means. It's about Jesus. And if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, continue to be like, Lord, test me. Grow me. I want my faith to grow. This is what this vintage faith that we are studying is all about. So will you pray with me as we, uh, as we continue to worship together? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, um, Lord, that you test us. Thank you, Lord, that you grow our faith. Lord, I'm even reminded of Peter when he, when he, when he failed, when he denied your son, Jesus Christ, three times. And then we read at the end of John, and, he, and Jesus gives him another opportunity and says, do you love me? And he says, yes. And Jesus says, do you love me? And he says, yes. And Jesus says, do you love me? And he says, yes, three times. Lord, we failed so many times, and thank you so much for, for providing Jesus, Lord. And, and Lord, you give us second chances. You are the God of second chances. And we just want this morning for our faith to grow. So may, may your son, Jesus, Lord... Um, be first in our life and at the center of our life. And we pray that we can just uh, take all of our ambitions and hopes and plans and just give them to you and just surrender them to you. And we love you so much. And so thank you again for this church family. Thank you for the community that we live in and how we can bring this good news out as we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.